Luke chapter 12, cha- uh, verses 22 through 34. Throughout human history, uh, people have sought after what has been uh, commonly thought of as the good life. What is the good life? Well, people have thought about that long and hard throughout the centuries. Um, The philosophers searched after the good life. Uh, Aristotle perhaps is the... um, uh, the, the most well-known philosopher who wrote quite extensively about what is the good life. Uh, TV shows have been produced with that name and with that theme, what is the good life? Um, songs have been written about it. And here in our country, if you were to ask people about the good life, uh, it's, it, it would not be surprising that you heard some kind of a version of Uh, the American dream where um, money may not be the whole of the good life. Um, Someone may say, well, you don't need all the money um, in the world, but some money certainly would be helpful in having the good life. Um, If you were to write down attributes of the good life, uh, I'm wondering what we would see represented in in our congregation here. What are some of the qualities of the good life? Uh, Maybe ability to pursue happiness, um, to have joy, peace, having a good measure of freedom. These are some of the things that we think of when we think of the good life, having friends and and family. Um, But what I want to ask this morning is, what does Jesus say about the good life? Because he actually wrote quite a bit about um, the good life. And Jesus told one day a certain parable. And it happens to be one right before the scripture that we're going to read here in Luke chapter 12 um, about the good life. Because someone actually interrupted Jesus's, his teaching and interrupted his teaching and asked Jesus to help arbitrate between he and his brother in dividing up the the family inheritance equitably. And Jesus tells this parable, and you'll remember this parable, um, of a man who has this this abundant crop. All of a sudden, he has stumbled into this great fortune. And uh, and he thinks, well, what am I going to do with with my fortune now? Well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down these smaller barns, and I'll build up new bigger barns to hold all of my my fortune this is going to be life-changing then i'll be able to take it easy and relax and enjoy life i finally will have the good life and you remember how the parable ends jesus says that god uh tells this man you fool because even now your life is demanded back from you um, and the man in the parable presumably dies, never gets to enjoy the the life of ease and pleasure after striking it rich. And then Jesus gets to this statement, verse 21. I want to read verse 21 and see what Jesus says about the good life. And this is what Jesus says. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. 
but is not rich toward God. So for the man in the parable, the good life revolves around his riches. And Jesus flips that. And so I want to give you this statement this morning. For Jesus, the good life is found in being rich toward God. Now, we don't know yet what does it mean to be rich towards God. That's why we're going to read what Jesus says next in Luke chapter 12. Um, We're going to unpack that a bit. And in verse 22, Jesus gives a very important therefore. So after this parable he tells about the fool, Jesus says, therefore... In other words, in light of what I just said, now I'm saying this. And he teaches some very important things. So let's read together. Well, I'll read out loud. You can read along silently. Uh, Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, tomorrow's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on Uh, What you will eat or drink, do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now last week we read about, uh, we talked about core teachings um, from Jesus. I printed out nine of Jesus' core teachings that I think are common throughout the Gospels. If you want to pick up a, a copy of those core teachings throughout in the, the lobby. Pick one up on the, the, uh, the welcome table on your way out. And one of the reasons why I chose this scripture uh, is because it's loaded with these core teachings of Jesus. And I want to look through those today. <coughs> but I also want to give this point. In order for us to be rich towards God, we must believe the right things. We need to, re- to remember these core teachings of Jesus. We must believe the right things about who God is, who we are, and how we are to live. Pardon me, I need a cough here. I have a scratchy throat. Now, when it comes to what you believe, hey, Steve Vanderart, I have a bottle of water, like, right behind you in that chair. I think I'm going to need it. (laughs) 
Thank you, sir. Um, one of the things I wanted to do before we start diving into core teachings is recognize something. And I think it's easy in our culture to prioritize our thoughts, what we think. Um, prioritize being intellectual beings and not holistic beings. And so what I want to do is think through um, three uh, different types of beliefs. And we've talked about these before, but but uh, Michael Novak was a, a Christian philosopher and um, writer, taught at Stanford, and he teaches about three uh, different types of beliefs that I want to go through. First of all, uh, first type are public beliefs. Public beliefs are things that I want people to think that I believe. So, as the joke goes, uh, when your wife comes to you and asks, does this dress make me look fat? Um, the answer is, no dress could ever make you look fat because you are perfectly slender. There is no fairer being than you. And you could go on and on if you really wanted to press your luck. You know what? You make that dress look fat. You're so skinny. Um, I might be pressing your luck. The point is, um, you, uh, you know, regardless of what you believe, the answer is no, it doesn't make you look fat. Um, a, a, a <laughs> public belief. It's what I want you to think that I believe. Private beliefs are things I want to think that I believe. Now, let me tell you, I think we live in the world of private beliefs. These are things that I think are true in my life. I think, I really do believe that I believe these. I'll give you an example of a private belief. Uh, when Jesus, the night that he um, was betrayed by Judas, he told his disciples in the upper room, you're, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to run away from me. Do you remember what Peter says to Jesus in response to this? I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I really believe that Peter thought that was true of him. That was, a, that was a private belief. I think this is true, but in action, it did not live out that way, did it? It wasn't demonstrated by his actions. That is what separates private beliefs, Michael Novak says, and core beliefs. Here are core beliefs. Core beliefs are beliefs that are demonstrated through my action. And the scriptures repeatedly say that it is core beliefs that are the ones that count. Because core beliefs are revealed to be genuine through our actions. Remember the relationship between um, faith and works, faith and action in the book of James, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 14. James writes, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? He goes on to say in verse 18, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
what we see is we are saved through faith alone, but never by faith that is alone. That's one of those popular teachings. We're saved by faith alone, but never by faith that is alone. We are saved by faith that um, reflects a core belief that moves us to action and bears the fruit of obedience and trust. So I want to talk about those different types of beliefs because as we go through these core teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, we need to be thinking, okay, for me, is this, is this a public belief? Maybe a private belief? Or is it really a core belief? Um... Okay, so let's, um, let's look through this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this scripture in terms of three categories. What is Jesus saying about who God is? What is Jesus saying about who we are? And what is Jesus saying about how we are to live? What are the core beliefs? And then we'll give some uh, summary statements about how can we know if these are... Um, really our core beliefs, that they, they, they really shape what we, what we do, how we live. Um, first, um, <clears throat> who is God? What does this passage say about who God is? Well, God is the one who takes care of the flowers, right, and the birds. We see Jesus saying that. In fact, uh, Jesus indicates that God cares very much about every bird and every flower, because all of the flowers are clothed brilliantly, Jesus says. And the flowers are here today and they're gone tomorrow. But every flower has this beautiful look to them. How about that, Jesus would ask. And Jesus would say, that's because God cares about those flowers. God makes everyone that way. And then Jesus adds in verse 24, um, look at the, the very end of what he says here. You know, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. How much more valuable you are than the flowers, Jesus would also affirm. So, of course, the implication is, just as God takes care of the birds and the flowers, and you are worth so much more than they are, of course God is going to take care of you. Jesus doesn't even have to say that. We know that would be true based on what Jesus says. So what's Jesus saying about God? Well, one of our core beliefs is that God is deeply personal. So last week we went through this statement here. Personal God. God knows me, loves me, takes care of me, and faithfully keeps all of his promises. So I want to give you one of the core statements I think the scripture says about who God is. And it's written in your note sheet. You don't even have to fill in the blanks here. Pers- uh, who is God? God is our loving, providing Father. He is deeply personal. He's so personal that he takes care of every bird and clothes every flower. And so, of course, he is personal to you as well. Now, what does the scripture say about who we are? In verse 32, look at what Jesus um, says. This is just a beautiful verse. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, 
for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You are, who are you? You are his little flock. And let me tell you about that word little. Uh, just kind of looked, how does Jesus use that, that word little? Almost always in an endearing way, in an affirming way in the, in the Gospels. Um, like when Jesus refers to the children as these little ones. Puts the little ones in his, his arms or blesses the little ones. When Jesus says that the least in the kingdom are the greatest. The little ones, the little ones of the kingdom, the greatest. Jesus always uses that word in this endearing way. You are God's little flock, Jesus says. So last week we looked at this statement, this core belief statement about our identity, our identity in God. I find my identity and worth in my status as a child of God. We have to keep in mind little flock. You are God's little flock. You are not the child that God gets tired of. You are his little flock. God looks upon you tenderly, compassionately, protectively. Now verse 32 says something very important about how God relates to us. Look at it again, this time at the the end of the verse. (coughs) Pardon me. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased, pleased to give you his kingdom. So I don't have to persuade my heavenly father in giving me the blessings of his kingdom. I don't have to to prove to him that I'm worthy of his kingdom. He is just pleased to give it to his children. So last week, we went through this core teaching on our salvation. How do we receive salvation? Salvation of God. I am saved by God's grace through my faith in Christ. So God relates to us by his grace, through his grace. That means the way that God relates to us, we don't have to earn that. His goodness, his favor, his blessings, we don't have to earn that. God gives that to us through his grace. So this scripture says, who are we? We receive our identity in God's love for us. So Jesus is talking about who is God? Oh, he's our very personal Heavenly Father. You are His little flock. He, re- he responds to you out of His love. And then third, how are we to live? And Jesus says in verse 31, but seek His kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. So we need to recognize that our stuff in this world, just our stuff, you know, our possessions, the material stuff, it's only temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. By focusing on God's kingdom, it helps us to remember that sooner or later, you know, this stuff that's only temporary, we're going to leave it behind. Not going to take it with us. And most of us would say, yeah, we get that. But not only am I supposed to seek after God's kingdom, I am to be a servant of God's kingdom. And that means I live in a way that helps others experience the kingdom of God. And Jesus writes this in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, 
a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Now, Jesus isn't saying, sell all your possessions, give it all, give everything away. But the way that we should relate to our possessions is that they do not possess us. So don't allow them to own your heart. Be willing to let them go, Jesus is saying. Don't make your mission in life all about acquiring bigger and better. Jesus says, I've got a new mission for you. I've got a new mission for you. And so last week we gave this statement about the mission of God. I join in God's mission of redemption. That's my mission. Just as God, God's mission is redeeming this world. So God's purpose for my life is to build God's kingdom here in this world. And one more thing that verse 33 says, God has a great reward for me, and it is this treasure, and it's in heaven, and it's secure. I won't miss out on it. You know, there's a lot of treasures in this world. And maybe if I play my cards right, maybe if I get the breaks, I will be able to enjoy those treasures. And if I don't play my cards right, and if I don't get the breaks, maybe I won't. Jesus says, you can live for a much greater treasure and it will last forever, and it is completely secure for you. So, as we said last week, we are rewarded by God. Core teaching here, core teaching of Jesus. You are rewarded by God. My greatest rewards are those given to me by God. So, the scripture talks about how we are to live. How we are to live. Our mission in life is to live as faithful servants of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, this reward, this treasure that is secure for me, that will last. And I'm to live as a, as a servant of God's kingdom. So notice what Jesus says in the scripture about who God is, who we are, how we are to live. And Jesus wants these to be core beliefs for us, not just private beliefs, but core beliefs. So I want to I end with three things for us to think about, about these being core beliefs. The first is this. Being rich towards God is not purely emotional, but is demonstrated through action. Now, my heart can be in my worship, and of course God wants our heart to be in, in, our, in our worship to Him, our praise to Him, and for it to be rich. But being rich towards God certainly is, it certainly includes heartfelt emotion, but it's much more than that as well. You know, thinking poorly of God certainly is not a pathway of being rich towards God. Treating God as an afterthought, that's not part of the pathway of being rich towards God. My beliefs about God are important. He's your deeply personal Heavenly Father. It is worthy of your trust. Um, so being rich towards God really does include what we think and believe about God. Um, but it's, it's got to go beyond that. It's got to 
It's got to move us to action. We have to believe that what Jesus said really is true, so much so that we're moved to action. Um, Elton Trueblood, uh, Christian theologian and author, put it like this. The deepest conviction of the Christian faith is that Christ was not wrong. I really believe that. Christ, you're not wrong when you say that I should be willing to let go of my possessions, sell, give them, give to the poor so that they would be able to encounter the kingdom of God. Um, So that's the first thought. Being rich towards God is not purely emotional, but it is demonstrated through action, action that comes when I believe that Jesus is not wrong about what he says. Two, you must settle on your fundamental. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we have to ground, ground yourself in, in a truth and hold on to the truth ferociously. Don't let go. Sometimes we have to fight for our core beliefs. Um, Jesus says in the scripture, do not worry. I want to say that you can have a core belief about um, the provision and, and God being personal and still, and still, I mean, and, and still think about it, right? There still can be worry that pops up. And so what do you have to do? You have to hang on to your fundamental. You've got got to hang on to that scripture, that promise of God, and say, you know what, God? No matter what, I'm believing this. So I'm going to give you an example in my life of um, hanging on to a fundamental. When I was in college, uh, one of the, the required requirements for the, for the degree is to take so many hours of kinesiology. One of my uh, kinesiology classes was a high and low ropes course class. Really cool. Um, and for the high ropes elements, we would, you know, we'd be 30 feet above the ground and we'd be wearing harnesses. Um, climb up a big pole, walk around on a wire. And I knew I had my harness. I mean, I knew I was completely safe. I had a core belief that my harness would keep me from falling to the ground. I was terribly certain about it. And yet when I was 30 feet above the ground, I mean, my legs were like jello. I was wobbling around up there. That there, there still was that worry, right? But I had a core belief. I knew that, that I was perfectly safe. That harness was my fundamental. When I'm up there, 30 feet above the ground, walking on a little quarter-inch wire, hanging onto a rope, I am constantly telling myself, you got the harness on, buddy. You're, you're perfectly safe. So you've got to come up with your fundamental from Scripture. And you've got to hang on to it dogmatically and say, whatever else happens, I'm believing this. Mine is John chapter 6, verse 68. That's my fundamental. Um, Whenever I struggle with doubt or worry, I go back to John chapter 6, verse 68. Um, Jesus is teaching some of his followers, start leaving him because they find his teachings too hard. Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And you saw it on the screen. Peter says to Jesus in reply, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. (laughs) And that's my fundamental. 
I'm sticking with that. Because I know, Jesus, if not you, where else would I go? I'm staying with you. I'm believing you no matter what. That's my fundamental. No matter what I see, Jesus, that gives me doubt or alarm, I'm sticking with you on this one. Because I know I have no other place to go, no other place to go than to you. So find your fundamental, hang on to it, put a little a line in your note sheet. What is your fundamental that you are going to stick with no matter what about God's faithfulness, about your security with the Lord, His love for you? Find that fundamental and hang on to it. And three, we need all of Jesus' core teachings for a faithful life. Um, we can be insufficient in our core teachings from Jesus. It's interesting in the scripture, Jesus teaches about who God is. He's our providing God. He's deeply personal. He teaches us about who we are. We are his little flock. Of course God is going to take care of us. And Jesus could have thought, okay, that's all they need. Now they're going to go out and they're going to be, they're going to be servants of the kingdom of God now. And they're going, to, they're going to be generous with their stuff because they know that God's going to take care of them. And they're going to be generous to others. He could have stopped at that. But no, Jesus goes ahead and he finishes the teaching. And he says, little flock, little flock, do not worry. God is delighted to give you his kingdom, so sell your possessions and give to the poor. He, he gives them that further core teaching about who they are, what they're supposed to do, servants of God's kingdom. We need all of Jesus' teachings, including the ones that reveal to us we are meant to be a blessing to others. So it's easy for me, I know it's easy for me, to listen about who God is and who I am and stop right there and be quite content in my own little life and turn inward. I need to be reminded by Jesus that I have the kingdom and so I need to go now and be a servant of the kingdom of God and share and love and help others to experience the goodness of God. I have to remember that even on that point, Jesus is not wrong. He's right. And if I'm not living as a servant of God's kingdom, then I am missing out on the good life. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus, help us to um, walk in grateful obedience to all that you say to us. Help us to find in your words real life, the life that is truly life, eternal life. Help us to look to you for truth for our life. We stand on you and your word to us and your promises to us. 
where the world tells us one thing, Lord, we're going to believe what you say about the good life. Help it to be so. In Jesus' name, amen.